You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Mel. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mel, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the data market. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Dwyer, the Head of Data Analytics and Strategy at MYOB, Parul Arobi, the Principal Manager and Data Science, and Saridha Balendra, the Associate Director of Data Management and Applications. And we're here to discuss creating a sense of excellence around growing data teams. Before we delve deeper into the topics, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Oliver, do you want to start? Thanks, Mel, and thanks for having us today. So to introduce myself, I'm Oliver Dwyer. I'm the Head of Analytics and Data Strategy at MYAB. Our team comprises of analysts across multiple skill sets from analytics engineering, data transformation, data visualization, and predictive and prescriptive analytics. MYAB is a SaaS provider in the Australian and New Zealand market. We are a long way through our journey from what has traditionally been a desktop CD accounting software market into a business management SaaS market. And by business management, I mean we provide solutions across key business workflows for SMEs and larger enterprises. And these are exciting times at MYAB, and I love being part of this journey. The key driver for this is seeing a 30-ish-year-old organization becoming a lot more data-hungry and data-savvy in the way we make key business decisions. This opens us up to really exciting opportunities to work towards a wide range of data and analytics use cases that inform innovative and impactful operational and business strategies. Absolutely. And Peru? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Mel. Um, thank you for having me on this panel. Uh, my name is Paro Loberoy. I have approximately 14 years of industry experience. I uh, have worked with a range of consulting firms and also on the industry side. Uh, my pain, my main passion is towards uh, data science in particular and, and AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and one of my core strengths and passion in the industry is basically to act like a bridge between business and the technical teams. So I act as, as, as a leader in that front. And also one of the other passion I have, why I, I love being in this industry, is that how do we use our technical solutions to drive business outcomes? So I lead a team of a of, of few data scientists, data engineers, and business analysts. And uh, I love working with my technical team, but I also love my customers and stakeholders as well. Amazing. And Sarita? Thank you. Uh, it was a great introduction, Oliver and Perul. It was nice meeting you as well. And uh, my name is Sridhar Balandor. Um, I am a data management and application um, leader, so I'm very passionate about data. I've been in the data industry for over two decades, close to. Um, but my background experience is I'm kind of a seasoned professional, started with all the development from uh, product companies. I work with a lot of data and then I make sure um, we ensure the data is um, used responsibly and ethically um, within my role and also make sure that um, uh, we achieve the organizational goals um, using the data. Um, I also have a deep understanding or more passionate about data quality. 
I'm you know passionate about the teams you know so leadership is one of my passions so I I get some uh, I would say um, I get satisfaction in helping people and building the teams so that's me. Awesome. Now that we have established the t- context for each of you, let's move on to the topic of focus. You all have a couple of questions around the topic of creating a sense of excellence around growing data teams. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your questions and the reason behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give uh, your take on the situation. So let's start with you, Oliver. Your first question is, what defines excellence in a data and analytic team and how do we balance short-term ad hoc versus long-term strategic work? Thanks, Mel. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because there's, I remember back in my high school debating days, you always had to start with the definition of what the, what you're actually talking about. And I think it's key here because there are a lot of different lenses that you could apply to determine what an excellent data and analytics team are. To me, there's only one and there, and everything else is a subset of that prime objective. And that prime objective is to actually add business and customer value. Nothing else really matters. And the reason for that, it's it's like the old adage, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it really make a sound? It's the same with data analytics. So having been um, in the data and analytics space since the mid-2000s, I've seen way too many really beautiful projects and models be completely uh, abandoned or not used because the translation from what was a great technical piece of work to what actually drove value, that that gap was never bridged. And so if you can't uh, determine that business value or that customer value, then is there really even po- any point in doing that? So um, for me, uh, getting getting to that core value of, of business and customer value needs to be done in two different ways. Uh, and, it, and it talks to that, that second part of your question, Mel, around ad hoc versus strategic work. Uh, there needs to be a two-speed um, approach, in my view, from a data and analytics perspective, insofar as if you're not adding immediate value to immediate tactical questions as they as they uh, surface, then uh, it, it doesn't matter how uh, good the, the longer-term strategic work looks, the perception of what the data and analytics team is delivering and the value it's delivering will probably not be as uh, as appreciated. So being able to blend both the ad hoc and the long-term um, uh, view is important. And I think that comes down to the core trade-off of the quality of the outcome versus the speed of the outcome. It, and they're usually, not always, but usually mutually exclusive. So if I have a key business question that requires uh, a really robust bust answer, then how will the team and I say, let's time box this to two to three months and we'll come back? Alternatively, I've got this really specific tactical question that I need information and data on in, uh, in order to actually drive a really quick decision, then obviously that time box is going to be a lot uh, a lot smaller. So I think um, being able to determine what the uh, what that urgency and importance is for that particular business value you're trying business and customer value you're trying to drive is is really important uh, the other the other key thing I think would be making sure that you're always keeping your business stakeholder front of mind uh, there's usually 
a translation um, need between an analytics and data team and the business or customer stakeholder team. Uh, so making sure that you're always getting uh, feedback and uh, input from what the not just the initial requirements, but how you're actually uh, delivering against the timeframe that you've already agreed. I think that becomes really important as well to make sure the stakeholder feels part of the journey as well in order to drive not just the actual value, but to know that uh, that tree that's falling in the forest, there is someone there to hear it and there is someone there to actually utilize the information that you're actually um, providing them. Uh, Parul, did you have uh, any thoughts on that? I really love the point that you said about the business value because I also am of the same opinion. I think each project or engagement or whatever initiative we, we undertake, I think it's very important to, I call it like success metric attached to it. And, and, and we really need to define what those success criteria or those success metrics are in terms of KPIs, time frame, what outcome are we trying to achieve? And I think you also mentioned a very interesting point, which I also agree is the feedback loop. I think in my journey, you know, what I've seen is that we do start the projects, you know, but the feedback loop is is missing. You know, we we fail to really follow through on, on the output. We fail to measure sometimes, you know, how the models are performing, what incremental value it's adding on a month-on-month -month basis, because I think that for me is extremely important. If you, and they both are kind of intertwined with each other, the business value and the feedback loop. So I kind of look at, at both these things in, in like hand-to-hand. -hand. I think the other thing which we spoke about is that how do we balance between the the ad hoc or, or immediate wins versus more long-term nature projects. So I think to me, I, I have a view on that, that it's very important to maintain the right balance between these two kind of works. And I'll tell you why, um, you know, something which can immediately deliver value. In my mind, I call them as quick wins because those are the quick wins that help you to, you know, A, provide confidence in like the data can actually solve your problem. And B, I also feel that if initiatives are taking way too long, sometimes customers and stakeholders tend to lose interest as well. So I think it's really important if you really want to get some scores on the board to have these quick wins because it, it helps you to get, you know, a, a foot in the door and get a seat on the table. But it's also equally important to balance it with the long-term vision. And, and there, that's where, you know, in, in a lot of engagements that I have been part of, we create these maturity roadmaps, wherein we see, you know, exactly where is the client in that journey and what are some of the use cases that we can immediately solve for and then what are the, some of the strategic initiatives. So, for example, you know, we usually use a framework called PPTI, which is People, Process, Technology and Information. Information is basically data. Now, a lot of initiatives, for example, related to processes, change management, related to infrastructure, related to data migration. These are all long-term initiatives. You can't solve them in a couple of months, but they are extremely important to undertake now for long-term success of an organization if you really want to be a data-driven organization. So I think in my mind, you know, it's it's very important to strike the balance between the quick wins and something which you can produce value immediately versus as an organization, as a leadership, how do you ensure that we have a long-term vision, at least two to three-year vision, where, where we want to achieve and what are the strategic and long-term initiatives 
that we need to achieve there. So yeah, I think those are my views, but I'm, I'm happy, Sridhar, to hear like what are your thoughts? I think um, you both have nailed it anyway, sir, but I will add my view as well, because yes, I think um, we always um, overemphasize sometimes on the technology, right? Oh, this is great tech, like, and there's a new new product in the market, so let's go and try it and let's do some POCs or whatnot. But at the end of the day, I agree completely that what is a business problem you're solving or what value um, we are um, providing to the business or to the organization, that's really, really important. And I'm a great believer of um, value. I think if you don't have a value, then even though it is, I know we have some must-dos, like for example, if I talk about um, infrastructure or this platform specific, that those are definitely not going to create business value, but that's kind of the foundation. But from a data and analytics perspective, um, I strongly believe that if there is no value, there's no point in just um, making sure you have a technology or a platform stood up. So I agree with that. On the second point about um, a short term versus long term and a strategic work, I have a different view because I, in my experience, um, how I've come across many of situations. So what we look at is first look at the strategic view and then um, make sure that your foundation is laid so that whatever the tactical or the short-term view or short-term goals you need to achieve, make sure it's still aligned to the strategic view so that your foundation is there so that the work, whatever we do, or the quick wins we, or we call as incremental wins, are all progressing towards that strategic goal. So that way, um, the uh, the effort and also the teams and business, they're all everybody in it. So I think that's that closes that feedback loop. Or I think these days there is no IT business. I think it's all one project or a one goal to achieve. So I think that's something I'm liking because I've seen this the transition from where IT being being seen as a, a cost center or a provider of a technology to joining hands with the business and solving the business problem. So I can see that big shift from where we were and where we are. So yeah, that's my view. Yeah, no, I think I absolutely agree because it's a joint effort, you know, especially these long-term initiatives without IT, you know, it's 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 like <laughs> you're just handicapped totally, right? And and sometimes they are the bottleneck as well. <laughs> I feel so I think definitely a business, IT, data teams, you know, all have to kind of come together if we really want to make it any engagement successful. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next question. So what are the ideal ways of working with data and analytics teams and how do we keep the team's skills up to date and motivated for excellence oliver yeah it's a, it's a good question it's um it's a cluster of a question um i think when it comes to ways of working i've seen a lot of different approaches uh, in my time in this space and it all comes down from the fact that data analytics is actually a broad family of multiple different disciplines. And I think the big delineator between all of them is the level of certainty that you've got across the, the, um, the gamut. And when I talk about the gamut, I'm talking about uh, the activity chain all the way from the data producer to the data engineers, the analytics engineers, to the visualization, to the diagnostic analytics, to uh, prescriptive and predictive analytics. And all of those have a different level of uh, certainty and therefore a different level of an ability to break a problem down into different chunks. And so uh, where our thought, uh, our thoughts have actually sort of uh, gravitated towards is, yes, you can treat them all differently, 
you can say, for example, that uh, because of the level of certainty involved in data integration or data transformation, therefore, you could run more of a scrum-based approach. And because of the level of exploration you would need in a data science um, or AI kind of discipline, you would therefore run a Kanban approach. And that's how traditionally we've run uh, our teams at, uh, at MYB for quite some time. However, we've actually started experimenting with the idea of running everyone in Scrum. And so time boxing everything in order to deliver a certain amount of uh, value and be able to be more predictable in what we actually deliver. There are a lot of uh, pitfalls with doing that, but at the same time, I think they're actually all manageable because if you come back to the foundations of problem solving, which is what we're all doing here, we're trying to solve problems and add value that we've all just agreed to, breaking down that problem is the key element. So if you can break down your key business problem from the epic to the story to the task level, then theoretically you should be able to uh, uh, be cross-discipline in the way in which you uh, operate as a, as a team. That said, we're, we're only one quarter into this um, experiment and it's working really well for us at the moment. Um, so yeah, let, uh, let's come back to that in a couple of quarters and see, and see where we get to. Um, but when it comes to the, the actual motivation and, and the skill sets of the team um, in that sort of ways of working, it's actually quite interesting because I've seen uh, different uh, time boxing um, approaches and to ways of working having different knock-on effects to uh, both motivation and making sure that you're future ready from a skills perspective. From a skills perspective, uh, it allows you to pivot quickly. So each sprint, for example, a analytics engineer might want to try their hand at um, data visualization or a, a data engineer might want to uh, work on a particular data science project, for example. And that idea of becoming a T-shaped cross-discipline data analyst is something I really subscribe to because, A, I think it means that we're all ready um, to understand other parts of, of that value chain so that when we have a specific demand for some kind of capability, we're able to uh, leverage people within the team because they've already been exposed to those types of skills. But I think it has the positive knock-on effect from a motivation perspective because you're always growing and learning as, as a data professional. Uh, but I think from a from a um, from a motivational perspective, I'm a big believer in that concept of intrinsic motivation, and that's where personal growth is one of those key capabilities that are key drivers that you need to consider. Uh, yes, you can, uh, you know, hire the best data architects or the best data scientists and throw all the money in the world at them, but unless they're intrinsically motivated to actually succeed for the business and for the team, then. Uh, I don't know how sustainable that is. So it's a it's a constant balance between making sure you're you're working to deliver um, efficiently and and productively, but at the same time making sure people are really motivated by the work that they're doing in order to be as sustainable as you can. No, I definitely I think align to most of what you said. I would I would probably just add to oh, you know some of the points which you said on the first part wherein you mentioned about. Um, you know, what are the ideal ways of working for the data and analytics team? I think one of the things which I feel is also very important is 
and you mentioned about you know the ways of working etc i think one of the key things which i feel is also important is the risk mitigation because that's something which i feel that especially people who are still early on in their journey are not able to really think about as hard and it's and 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 most of our engagements you know in the world of data is complex you know it's not straightforward so there are going you will hit a lot of impediments be it in terms of data you will hit processes infrastructure stakeholders buy in not coming and so there are all kind of you know scenarios which are very difficult to preempt but i feel that it's also extremely important when we look at ways of working to also have a good risk mitigation strategy in place um because i have seen that because of such unforeseen things or you know you, you probably just don't preempt those things it can it can hit on your timelines it can hit on the outcome sometimes scope creep happens so i think it's also important to to have a good risk mitigation strategy in place and that's i think important for the leadership whoever is leading those engagements to kind of have that in place i think for the second question which was around uh how do we keep the team skills up to date and motivated i feel that there are a couple of things on top of Oliver, what you mentioned, I also feel is that definitely it's something which is which has to be intrinsic, right? You can't push people definitely to to do something which they are not motivated to do. But I think as leaders, I also feel that there are some steps that we can take. Um, so, for example, you know what I try, and and I've been part of organizations where learning and development is tied to your goals. You know, so you have to do it. I think that ways it's not it's not a forced thing, but it ensures that people take out some time uh, in their calendar purposely, you know, kept for learning and development and upskilling themselves. And then there are rewards as well associated with that. So they are like like good boosters, you know, for people to 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 upskill themselves. And second, I also feel as that as leaders, we also have a, a responsibility to not just support our teams, but also to keep challenging them. Because, you know, sometimes I feel that people have are used to, let's say, working in a certain setup or certain kind of problem statements or a certain domain, and they get so used to of that that it's it's important to constantly challenge them uh, uh which also keeps them motivated in my mind and also kind of exposes them to different areas which in indirectly helps them to upskill their, their their current knowledge also so i feel it's it's kind of a combination of both so of course there is an onus on on people but there is also an onus on leaders as well to to kind of take those steps to ensure that the teams have that excellence in mind Sridhar, like, what, what do you think about that? Um, look, from a ways of working, I, I pretty much um, see that when we talk about data and analytics, because data will have many roots, as Oliver was, was mentioning. It, you know, there would be data producing some external, internal, and also in a complex environment. So that collaboration and keeping who are your like interdependencies between um, a deliverable, what you're trying to achieve, and if it's within the team, you can contain, which is pretty much that's what you were talking about risk mitigation but when we talk about um interdependencies within uh, other teams which are involved in order to um reach an outcome so i think i follow something called a pre-modern what could go wrong so probably like if we talk about a metrics and then pull all the people involved um including the business or um everybody who are supposed to be uh part of the program and 
highlight those what could go wrong so that you're preempting those challenges which you could face while you go along. And then, I mean, it it's still not a foolproof plan, but at least there is a plan to um, preempt those questions and the challenges. And that will give some sort of a um, uh, time, firstly, and also it'll also give you um, to say, where are the risks? Is it high? Is it medium? And then probably you can start looking at those things and that will really help, uh, which has worked well for us in a couple of instances. And uh, so that's something which is uh, I would want to add. Uh, on the second question about um, skills and motivation, yes, I'm a big believer of um, you know making sure that teams if the teams are not happy i think and if they are not they're coming for the sake of you know getting the work done we we will not have the sustainable team so i think i a great believe great believer of having those um uh, i would say kind of challenging tasks and not just getting the yes i know every time you'll not have a challenging task but i create something like a stretch assignments to the team so they are still linked to the kpis but it's more than what the regular job so they urge to do that and because it's been they're being challenged and as a leaders as i agree with you parul and um, oliver to say that yes we need to have that um kpi as well but at the same time i still believe uh, if the individual responsibility is still the at the paramount to make sure about their own career and development but yes obviously as leaders we can motivate and give that platform for them to excel um but i still believe the career of an individual is their own responsibility oliver yeah thanks for thanks for sending back to me Shridhar. um the 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 point I just wanted to make, because I think we've been skirting around the concept of motivation a little bit, and I just want to be very clear that I don't think um, driving that motivation um, across your data team, data and analytics team, is limited to the fact that you're you know improving or expanding your skill set. I think uh, some other key um, elements would be making sure people are recognized for the work that they do, making sure that um, when you see in uh, in a senior meeting a particular piece of data or analytics being used to make a point or make a key decision that you're shouting that back to your team and saying thank you x for that amazing work this helped us to uh, y or helped us make that particular uh, uh, decision um, and again it's not just limited to recognitions there's so much more um, but i think we all agree from the sounds of it that uh, Getting getting that motivation level right will get you to much better outcomes as a data and analytics team uh, to driving that business value. Absolutely, couldn't agree more than that. Yep. Awesome. Let's move on. Parul, we've got a couple of your questions coming up next. So let's begin. Is there a balance between technical and business slash domain skills? Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite topics, and I'm pretty sure uh, everyone will have good insights on this topic. Uh, because I think, uh, and this is purely coming from my personal experience, and because I've spoken to so many people in the industry, and we all have this common concern that we do, how do we hire the, the best talent, which is a good mix of technical skills, but also at the same time, you know, they, they can see the 
the bigger picture, they have good business and domain skills. And I feel in my personal opinion, and after speaking to so many people, it's extremely important to have a good mix of both of them. Like I have struggled in the past where, you know, um, I have people who are technically very strong, but they just fail to understand why are we solving for, what's the bigger picture, and, and trying to communicate the results back to the stakeholders or customers. And I think people tend to, especially people who are extremely technical, sometimes tend to underestimate that skill. But I think it's a very, very important skill uh, uh, given, you know, if, if you are ever working, let's say, in a consulting firm or with directly with stakeholders, anywhere where you are directly dealing with customers, I think it's an extremely important skill to have. And I think, um, you know, I, I feel and, and I struggled with it for quite some time and I was trying to look for a solution. And one of the solutions which has worked very well is to do a buddy patching, you know, wherein, you know, you you patch someone with a buddy who has complementary skills and and you know thereafter they can learn from each other and it's kind of part of their goal exercise for 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 at least three to six months and that has kind of worked in the past for me but I still feel that that's a huge problem that um, that still exists uh, you know people who are very smart who understand the domain are very poor in their technical skills and people who are very smart and, and can make the best models and have the best technical abilities just fail to communicate the output and the results. And I think that's a huge gap. Uh, in And that's not just in Australia. I think that's a global issue that we are facing, actually. Um, and I think if I have talked to people who are just starting in the industry and, you know, they they ask me for an advice, I always give them the advice. They try to balance between these two kind of skills. Only then you will go a very long way in 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 the in the industry. You know, I, and I can understand, you know, everyone will have their own strengths. It may not become your strength, but you should not just ignore something uh, totally because ultimately it's a combination of both, which will kind of take you in the long run towards success. So I think, yeah, that's fine. That's my two cents. I'd love to hear from Oliver. Maybe Oliver is smiling, so maybe Oliver can kind of go. Uh, for all, I'm always smiling. Um, the the to be honest with you, I think you you're bang on. I think um, coming from my background, I come from a business background, not from a technical background, and it's a, a skill I've acquired over time in order to become, you know, technically know enough technically where I can communicate back to my team. Um, back in 2019, I think 2019 2020, there was this concept being banded about about what they called an analytics translator or, or a, a data and analytics translator. And th I think the key concept there was not just from data analytics, but technology generally uh, being able to speak in both the tech, technology language and the business language to be able to help each of those different ends of the of the um, organizational spectrum, actually understand what your what each of the different parties' values are and what they're trying to drive and what tr they're trying to achieve, is a really important thing that we've um, that we're always struggling with, um, and definitely something I've struggled with over my time. But obviously, that's you're always going to have a bias to one over the other, and so um, making sure that that balance is um, is kept front of mind is really important. I think in my 
what is it now, almost almost 20 years in the analytics, data and analytics space, the one thing I've seen uh, time and time again is there is a bias almost always, and I've seen very few what I would call unicorns, those people that are able to be both technically very gifted, but also understand what that business need is, manage stakeholders, um, and get uh, to the crux of what that business value is. And I think because of the scarcity of those unicorns, <clears throat> the way you can deal with that within your team is actually uh, be diverse in the skill sets that you've got within your team so that you can cater for that language gap um, and that you can achieve what you need to as a team rather than rely on those uh, very pesky unicorns. Srydia, did you have a different view? Yeah, no, I think um, I agree. Um, we all uh, agree that um, you know, technical skill alone will not take you where we want. And communicating effectively and collaborating with others is really, really important from a data analytics and while we working with business. Um, but I think it also depends on the individual as well, right? I think if, as I agree with you, Oliver, when you say somebody is really, really smart enough, but um, if that guy is not or girl is not um, worse enough to communicate and have that business skills, then it's a matter of balancing your team to say and protecting that to say, okay, this person will do this work, but when it comes to communication and um, working with the business, there will be somebody else will be um, buddying with that person and uh, it will be the f facing the business. So that way, I think, and also we also know that. Um, a weakest team member is what your team is, um, you know, projected as outside. So we we will all have at any some point of time, uh, and then many hires, hundreds of them. Um, so I know what you hire is not what you get. So you'll you'll have those kind of imbalances. But it's up to us to how we manage that, and then to see whether this is fit for purpose, and also um, see how we can sustain with. The un, uh, to Olio's point, to have the diverse diversity is important, and that's something which we'll talk in the later um, the episode. So that's one of the topics which I definitely want to discuss. Yeah, Pearl, you had closing comments on that one. Yeah, no, I think I mean absolutely. I mean, and that's why I said I love this topic. But I think where I was coming from is that definitely I totally agree that people will have their strong areas, you know, because they are naturally gifted with those abilities. But what I'm saying is that it's also important to, to and when we were talking about upscaling as well, right, to also keep in mind that communication skills, storyboarding, having, acquiring domain skills, these are very, very important skills as well when you are in this business and like just tying it back to our initial point of business value as well, right? So I think a lot of it feeds into, you know, how you present your insights, what story you basically present and, and how convincing your story is so that, you know, your stakeholders can buy into that. And that, of course, adds into the business value to, that you are contributing. So I think it's all kind of tied together in some ways. Oliver, did you want to add any more finishing comments? Yeah, I did. And, and sorry to, to, to try and get the last word on this because this is a fascinating topic, I think. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I've observed recently, especially in big digital transformations, um, which I've seen both as a consultant, but now 
as part of the MYAB team and then the transformation we're undergoing is the delineation between what is a business team and a technical team is actually blurring. Where where previously they used to be very distinct uh, functions or distinct uh, capability sets, uh, there is much more of a blur between uh, what is – uh, that technical capability trying to achieve and the the necessity for them to really understand what is the business outcome of what they're doing. So I think if I fast forward 15 years and we just took a straight line regression of this, potentially they become one and the same. This idea of being technically gifted and business um, uh, business gifted and understanding the drivers of both, I think will become increasingly important from a from a skill set and in order to be able to you know grow in your career and 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 become uh, more senior in in the data and analytics space absolutely we've briefly touched on it but we'll add on uh, how do we attract and retain top talent and does the future ways of hybrid working have an impact on teams and outputs Farul? Yeah, so I think I'll divide this into two parts. So one is, you know, understanding uh, how to attract and retain the talent. And I think talent is is another favorite topic of mine. <laughs> so, uh, and that's, again, a global issue because I I remember last year, uh, uh, I read a report. It was, it was, I think, on some 117 global CIOs and there was a poll done and what are the top concerns for the data analytics team. And I think talent was the number two uh, big biggest concern. So 60% of the CIOs said the talent attraction and talent retention is the is is one of the strong concerns. And I think the reason, I think there are a couple of reasons. I think, and I don't know, it can be like a very big topic, but I'll try to keep it very, very pointed. I think, A, you know, how can we improve our hiring processes, for example? And it's very hard to gauge because these skills are very complex, you know, in just few interviews, how do we can really determine the quality of candidate? I think that's, that in itself is, is, is a big challenge. I am personally a great fan of giving people case studies or scenario-based, you know, so that you can kind of, it's not just about what people know, but, you know, how they can think on the feet as well. And can they really adapt to new circumstances and situations? That at least has worked personally for me. Uh, but I think also when it comes to retaining the talent, I think it's it's really important as leaders, we also understand the driving factors, the motivation, like we were talking about motivation, right? For people, like some people will have salary as the motivator. Some people may have culture. Some people may have flexibility. Some people may have career progression. So I think it's extremely important to for, for leaders and for people managers to really understand like what are the driving motivators for their team members? Because if you don't really understand those, you know, it's very unlikely that you're going to retain them. Uh, because, you know, most likely they'll, they'll churn out in, in some time. So I think those are a few things. And then hybrid ways of working is, again, I'm I'm pretty sure it's here to stay. We are no longer going back five days a week for sure. And I was talking to a friend of mine like a few weeks back, and he was saying that, you know, it's a candidate's market completely. And we are receiving a huge pushback from candidates. They just don't want to come to the office five days, no more than two, maximum three days a week. And, you know, people are negotiating on that because its flexibility is extremely critical for them. And COVID, I think, has also proved in some ways that we all can jointly 
deliver successful projects while being at different parts of uh, the world as well, right? So it's no longer that barrier or that or that friction in people's mind, uh, I guess, any longer. But yeah, I'm, I'm keen to kind of hear everyone's thought on on that for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still mulling over your points and and the question itself. It's actually a really interesting one. I agree with what you're saying that hybrid's here to stay. Um, I think, to be honest with you, if an organization is not offering a hybrid, if not skewed, flexible uh, arrangement, they're going to miss out on a lot of that talent that we've talked about. I think from a team management perspective, there are risks that you have to control. Um, some of those risks will be specifically how do you inculcate a lot of the water fountain, I think it's called water fountain uh, conversation that you would otherwise get if you're all in one office. Um, and how do you make sure that those kind of discussions are, are happening anyway, if they're if they're virtually virtual or remote. But let's let's be honest, like we I've now worked for multiple organizations where you have teams in different parts of Australia or or the APAC region or even the globe. And so that those water cooler conversations, and to be honest with you, I don't think there are water coolers anymore anyway. I think they're an antiquated concept. So the, so the idea of being able to uh, control for that, I think, are, are a lot is a lot easier now than it has been before. I think the only other one would be making sure that people are motivated and making sure that people are still um, trying to drive um, excellence in the work that they do in the hybrid way of working. And I think as long as you're doing things like keeping people accountable, but also the flip side of that, making sure that they're recognized for excellence, I think is a way of um, of, of driving that. I think the other thing that you said, Perul, which I, I really do agree with is um, what what are you actually looking for from a, from a talent perspective? Um, I'm I'm not I'm going to ignore the retention bit for a second, but but I think that's obviously really important because it is a candidate's market. I'm actually going to look at the um, the attraction um, uh, view, and I've always been of the view that <clears throat> you hire not for a specific skill set, but a specific attitude. So yes, there's a basic hygiene level of um, capability that you need from be it, you know I can code in SQL or I can visualize data. You know that's that's the basic hygiene level, but once you pass that, uh, the difference between an amazing achiever within a data analytics team and someone who is just doing the job nine to five and 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 doing what the bare minimum, I think all comes down to attitude and a desire to to really improve not just themselves but the organization and the team that they're working with. So I don't know how you actually determine. Um, who that is when you actually speak to them, but that's that's what I'm definitely looking for at the time. Sridhar, so, did you have anything yeah, to add to those points? I, I definitely want to comment on the you know the attitude thing. So I'm a big fan of um, that, and at the same time, I have experience in my career, um, you know, at least one once or twice um, where uh, aptitude versus attitude um, scenario, and then I completely agree that. The attitude comes before the aptitude or the talent. Um, and also, any skill is teachable. So that's what I, I think, um, I believe. And uh, an individual, when we call him as a top talent or her as a top talent, is 
it's kind of an all rounder. It's not like okay, just trying to solve a problem and then cause chaos in the team. So that's not a top talent. So I think there are various versions of it, but at the same time, uh, we all have to understand what is that for our particular um, team and what that uh, you know means for our uh, particular uh, scenario. Um, I think I think from a ways of working, I think I I certainly agree that hybrid is here for ever to stay, and I don't think so anybody can go back in the previous ways of working. And uh, um, one thing is that I think I still think uh, the collaboration or having that touch or having that networking is still important. I think that's um, definitely is going to be a uh, kind of add on, you know, we can get the work delivered or we can get the things done. But I think the human touch or that element of meeting people and having that conversations is still required, I would say. Um, and it also benefits, right? It's about knowing a person face to face and having that conversation um, and creates that kind of a sense of um, relationship. And I would talk about stakeholder management and whatnot. I think these are all kind of important when we have that relationship with the, our stakeholders and the, um, any other teams which we work with. So um, I think, yeah, hybrid is the way to go, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Sarita, last but not least, let's head into your questions. We're going to begin with how does the team embrace innovation mindset and how important is having a diverse, rich team? Oh, thank you. Uh, look, I think this is um, innovation is uh, my favorite, but at the same time, um, it's hard, right? So you can't innovate um, or we are not like a product. We come out of product. So for me, innovation is something um, different ways of doing work and uh, reducing any of the manual effort or it could be a small change in the way or a process or even automating something. So that's what um, you know, I believe as an innovation, we, we need not be NASA scientists to create a product. So in a data analytics team, all you embrace that is, can I solve this differently? So that it's a mindset, right? Like how we foster that culture within the teams is about um, giving them a challenge to say that, okay, we've been doing this so long. Is there a different way of doing this? And um, how they react to it. And then not everybody have that susceptible of, um, okay, I you know put raise my hand and do it. But there will be um, people who really take that and ch challenge themselves and come back with solutions. So I think that's a mindset we, um, and I believe myself that kind of a framework what I use is fail fast, right? If you want to go and try something, go and try and then come back and say, oh, we didn't work and we have to go on. But at least we opening that um, uh, culture is really important. And what this does is also it stops the mediocrity within the team, right? So that people will aim for excellence. And if you have um, a team member who is uh, automating some stuff, so which will help others, and then you have more time in the team. So um, I, I strongly believe this, but at the same time, um, it takes perseverance and effort from both you know, the leaders and also from the team because innovations are the things will not happen fast. So it takes time and you need to build over time. So that's a challenge. You, know, you can't get results just when you say, hey, I want to build something. Um, so I have an example where we're trying to build some kind of a automation process, but it took six months. Uh, but that six months, there was no uh, results to show, but you know that it's coming. So that's the motivation you keep the team and uh, make sure that the team is 
um, you know, continuing so that you get to the end. Um, yeah, uh, look, I think uh, lastly, which I want to add on this one is that uh, it's kind of having that creativity and, uh, you know, making sure that uh, team doesn't get discouraged when they fail. So that, that's something which I really um, try. And the last one, which is diversity, which we touched upon in the previous one. I think it's not about gender diversity. I think I something resonated with me when I was reading an article from, I think this was one of the, I think it was Google's um, CEO, Sundar Pichai said, uh, which he was saying a diverse team uh, or a diverse mix of voices leads to better discussions, decisions, and outcomes for everyone. So I think we, we have to surround with um, different diverse teams and, I would say like-minded people is not what you want to surround with. Sometimes we feel comfortable with that, but I think we need those diversity um, within the teams so that you you build a sustainable and also a successful team uh, with the diverse culture. Parul, you want to add? I know it's very important or you have very passionate about this. Uh, I'm passionate about everything, but <laughs> but yeah, I think see diverse and and I think it all kinds of intertwined, right? Like we're talking about people having business skills versus technical skills, and you know their own. So I think that is also part of diversity as well, right? Uh, women in tech is also like a big big thing. You know, how do we have like a? I mean, like you know, I have been at I have been at seats where I'm the only female, of course. So I think you know that that. Uh, that's good in some way. I get a good treatment, but I think you know I would I would love to have more uh, female candidates also. That's also part. That's also part of diversity, right? So I think we can look at diversity in multiple ways, uh, I guess. And we do need different people, different ideologies. Uh, but I think it's also important to to align as well, right? Sometimes what happens is that different people can have different conflicting thoughts, but it's also important to kind of come midway and align on because otherwise you're not going to move forward. You know, you're just like, you know, you're just stuck at a situation. So I think that for me is extremely important. Um, and I think uh, you also uh, mentioned about innovation. I think uh, one of the things which I have also seen in the past is, is that maybe try to identify people who are like-minded and that's where diversity doesn't come into picture. I think you have to find people, you know, maybe it could be your stakeholders or somebody or some budgets here and there, which can kind of, you know, give, give that, give that consent on, on, on that innovation. Because I feel a lot of times we are just too focused on our day-to-day -day grind work that we forget about research and development as well. And, and and everyone wants quick results that R&D just goes back, you know, as, as a back burner. People are looking for quick fixes. So I think it's important that, you know, you find somebody, a mentor or or somebody in, in your organization with whom you can discuss uh, those ideas and then maybe try to implement those till the time it, it comes to a level where you can then actually present it to a larger audience. And who knows, it turns out to be a big idea, right? Yeah, Oliver. Yeah, I think what you've um, what you've said around the importance of diversity is 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 really um, what actually underpins the level of innovation that you can get from a particular team. Um, to me, though, that there's so many different types of diversity, and they they're all valid. So if you think about gender diversity or ethnic diversity or uh, 
age diversity or mindset or personality diversity, which I think you were intimating um, earlier, Pearl, um, I think that become really important, not just within data analytics, but within tech. I know Lauren, a colleague of mine, was on this particular podcast a couple of months ago, and she was specifically referring to the develop her um, MYOB uh, program that is actually looking for female graduate developers and looking to the train them up so that we can have more of that gender diversity within um, our organization and hopefully within the tech landscape within Australia as well. I think um, though, if you come to the so what, so that's the what, but so what, why, why do we care? Um, not just because we're good people, but also because I'm not sure if everyone's been um, exposed to that concept of the six different thinking hats. So you've got the black hat, the red hat, the white hat, et cetera, and everyone's having a different perspective about the same issue so that you can look at it holistically from multiple different perspectives to get to the best outcome. And I think that's what diversity inherently does. So by looking at things from multiple different angles, you're actually going to get to the best result because you're always testing um, uh, a hypothesis from multiple different views. And I think without that, if you had too many optimists in a group, then you're going to tend towards an optimistic outcome or an optimistic business case. If you have too many pessimists, you're probably going to be in a situation where your innovation is stifled because you're never going to experiment with anything. But you need a balance of all of them. And I think the other element of diversity is, and I think we talked about this right at the beginning, is the diversity of the two speeds that you have to operate on. You have to be able to deliver business value immediately, but you also need to create the room so that you can de de deliver on some more of the strategic focused work. And a lot of that that innovation will actually come out of give, having more time to actually explore the problem, look for different outcomes and, and work towards those outcomes. But equally so, you can get a lot of incremental innovation through just the day-to-day -day BAU. Oh, wow, I saw this really cool new trick in, in DBC or in transformation. Um, oh, have you seen this new feature in Tableau or Power BI? And being able to share those experience, uh, experiences across the team that's innovation too, not just um, building an algorithm because you've had six months to do it, but also just de determining a different way of doing something that everyone faces day to day. Sridhar, I, I feel like uh, you've got something to add to this. It's spot on with the innovation. And I think within our teams and within our um, remit, we, we definitely have to um, embrace on the, as, as you said, like yeah, getting a new feature or a new ways of doing things, and absolutely, that's. Uh, I just wanted to say that yeah, exactly, that's something which really resonates, and that's what you look for those small things and keeps the team um, having that, you know, embracing the culture. Parul, you had a closing comment as well. Yeah, I think that's where you know these knowledge sharing sessions are extremely important in my mind, where you just don't keep your knowledge to yourself, but you also share it with others. And definitely, I think with ChatGPT going around, we, that's that's an innovation in itself, I guess, right? So you can just build models so quickly with ChatGPT, and that that's another topic altogether. But yeah, I think whenever somebody talks about innovation, ChatGPT comes in my mind always. Absolutely. We'll finish off with one last question, Sarah. What are the key challenges in creating in creating environments for continuous development and growth? Um, look, this is something always, um, you know, is a 
thing which we keep in mind as a leaders and uh, from a data and analytics perspective, um, because the technology is growing at a rapid pace. So, you know, as Parul just mentioned before, that ChatGPT is uh, one of the innovation, but there are so many tools and so many so many technologies, and um, things get redundant, um, and and also at the same time that opens up for an opportunity for the teams to adapt and change the course if needed. Because if you go on a single path and then you're trying to solve a problem, but if there is a better way, so that's something which um, you know we have to bring back the teams and keep that. Um, challenges uh, open, and at the same time, uh, you know, making this, making sure that the team also develops and grows with whatever the opportunities um, they have. And at the same time, uh, I know always uh, because I'm coming from a technical background, so we should not overemphasize on the technical skills because that will derail the whole cause. But at the same time, how do you stretch them and keeping them uh, up to date and also giving them opportunity for the growth? Because it's very hard in uh, science. When we talk about data, then I think you have um, a set of group of people who have of the same skills. And then how do you give them that opportunity to grow to the next level so that they keep and again, it all comes back to motivation and looking at your recognizing them. Um, and what is the value add, right? I think one thing which I always, um, again, it, it goes back to our initial uh, for question from the podcast, like what is the value they're adding, right? So that's um, one. And then also what's the business problem they're trying to solve. So um, th these challenges, uh, I would say that it's a continuous like day on day, right? We keep asking every day. It's not like one day we ask what is a business value and the next day we go and do something else. So that's um, some of the challenges which I think we we still have and we still face. I'm happy to hear from, you know, uh, Oliver um, and Perul as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think uh, there are a lot of, I think whatever we spoke about, right, they are all kind of, tie together and they all are challenges in some ways. One thing in particular I would like to emphasize a lot is that the processes, I think that to me, the change management, that to me is like a biggest roadblock also, apart from, of course, the data, infrastructure, talent, et cetera, et cetera, whatever we spoke about. I think processes and change management is, is extremely critical and that's always top down in my mind. I think, you know, you need to have people at the top backing it up and really driving very uh, impactful use cases, you know, and, and I know it's not a topic right now, but picking up the right use case is extremely important, you know, and then that drives all of the use cases. And so I think, you know, like I said, the processes, the change management and, and having the right people driving at the top is extremely critical and, and that can kind of make or break things. And that, that's my that's my opinion. Oliver? Yeah, I think it was this concept sort of, of um, fail fast, which I think you 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 coined earlier on, or maybe not coined, but at least um, at least uh, talked about it. And I think that the key concept is if you're in a situation where a mistake or failure of a team results in you know a feeling of insecurity or anxiety, or I haven't done my job correctly, um, I think. That has the biggest has the biggest damaging effect to not just an individual, 
um, and their pursuit of growth and development, but also the team and the team culture. And so I think if you are really um, trying to drive that growth and development, you need to be able to not just tolerate, but embrace and share failure. Um, that's not necessarily easy. That's not necessarily easily done. I think um, if I've thought about my roles in the past, I'm always trying to get things right, especially when um, back in my consulting days, you know, there's strict, there's really tight deadlines. Um, you're, you're, you're paid to uh, give an accurate outcome as quickly as possible. And I'm not saying that's any different in a, in a uh, corporate environment, but in a corporate environment, I think allowing or putting uh, you know safeguards or rails around um, around failure and being able to say yes that didn't work out but this is what I learned and sharing those learnings across the entire team means that you are actually making people take controlled risks and actually develop uh, who they are as a person and who they are as a professional as well and um, that's something I'm continually trying to drive but um, I've got a ways to go, of course. Well, yeah, I I agree, and it's it's not something you know uh, which we set in stone and forget about it because this is something we keep um, you know looking at it and pivoting along and try to adapt to the changes within the environment and also at the same time changes the business needs. That's what I've found that when the business needs change, obviously you need to look at your whole plan and all resources. So I think that's definitely um, going to be there and it will be a continuous thing for us to, um, it's, it's a good challenge to have, I would say. Yeah. Amazing. I would like to thank all my guests today on joining the Evolution Exchange podcast. 